In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer in which we're trying to extract principles to live Islamically directly from the original sources of our religion, the Holy Qur'an and the sayings of the Holy Prophet and Ahlul Bayt, peace and blessings upon them all. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through a number of discussions on the topic of intentions, purity of intentions, sincerity, looking at it from different angles. So after spending a bit of time on trying to understand what is meant by these notions of good intentions, niyyah, husnin niyyah, for instance, and ikhlas, sincerity, we spent also a bit of time trying to see what these uh, notions actually mean practically, what they are and what they are not. And to a large extent, we saw that... Um, there is an encouragement to have a much more reflective and deep way of looking, for instance, at rituals and acts of worship, as opposed to um, going through the motions and following these acts of worship blindly, as we may say, mechanically, uh, so to speak. And then we spent the last section that we had, and we spent a few lectures on this, trying to see based on the narrations, what are the repercussions, what are the consequences of having good intentions or sincerity. And we saw that, uh, or we focused specifically on two big categories of consequences, two big categories of repercussions. The first ones, or the first category, we called it success. And we saw that having good intentions uh, having sincere intentions leads to being successful in this world. Okay, and so we saw, we explored this notion from a, a number of different angles. And the second category of the repercussions or the consequences of sincerity and purity of intentions had to do with the spiritual dimension. And we saw that this can go very far in terms of the spirituality that we can get, that this is something granted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guarantees himself that he will grant us spiritual benefits, spiritual consequences, repercussions, if we try to be sincere in our intentions, if we try to have an intimate personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so... All of this to say that these were the two big categories of repercussions that we wanted to look at. And now we are at the final heading under the big topic or the big section of sincerity. And this is, how is this sincerity achieved? Okay, and we already started touching on this question, answering this throughout a number of narrations already. But we thought we would dedicate just a little bit of time to this final question. And inshallah, today we will wrap it up. 
um, not necessarily to spend too much time on this, but just to highlight a few points related to how is this level of purity of intentions or this level of sincerity, how is it supposed to be achieved? So we get some clues and indications from some of these narrations that we can look at, inshallah. Okay, so the first of these um, ways of achieving sincerity, of achieving purity of intentions, is something that we spent quite a bit of time on, so I'm not going to go back to it. But if you remember, a number of hadith were clear in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not only going to reward and grant the benefits to those who have achieved sincerity, he also rewards and acknowledges and recognizes with real concrete benefits those who want to achieve it. The desire to be sincere by itself, if we are sincere in this desire, if we are sincere in our desire to have pure intentions, to have a personal relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we saw that this is a very big key that will allow us to, inshallah, move in that direction. Okay, so we're not going to go back through all the narrations. There are a number of narrations that we looked at, highlighted this idea or this notion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards, recognizes and rewards the desire to be sincere. Not even achieving. You have not actually achieved sincerity yet. You want to be sincere. You want to become sincere. So the more desperate you are, the more sincere you are, the more eager you are, the more willing you are, the more this is going to be recognized and it will be recognized and rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this world before the next. Okay, so that's one. The second um, way to achieve this sincerity is the topic or the heading of worship. So worship has a positive and a negative understanding. Worship equals obedience. Okay? If we say worship, worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a positive way to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the positive sense, as in, for instance, I fast, I pray, uh, I give charity. These are acts that I perform. But in the negative sense, it would be that I do not engage in any sins. And if you remember, we saw a number of narrations that were explicit and clear that this is what needs to be avoided. When we talked about what sincerity actually means, we saw that in practice it means staying away from sins, staying away from anything that makes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala displeased with us. Okay, that was very clear. So everything we're going to say now related to worship is only in addition to everything we've already covered. Okay, so the first hadith is from Imam Ali alayhi salam in which he says, and of course as usual, we look at these hadith, we either go from the specific to the general or the general to the specific. So in this case, we're looking at the very general but inshallah, you will see a lot of what we've been talking about in these few, very, very few words, three words from Imam Ali alayhi salam. He says, Al-Ikhlas thamaratul ibadah. Sincerity is the fruit of obedience or the fruit of worship. Imagine that you had a tree, and that tree has fruits, 
and that tree is your worship. If your worship were to be made into a tree and that tree can bear fruits, the fruit of that tree of worship, if you're lucky enough to have fruits from that tree, is that you achieve a level of sincerity. Okay, so the better care you take of your worship, the more chances you have of actually achieving a status of sincerity or purity of intentions. Here there is, therefore, when we say al-ikhlas thamaratul ibadah, sincerity is the fruit of worship, this means that we have to look at worship from the two angles that we talked about. One of them is quantity, and we said quantity is not necessarily the most important thing when it comes to worshipping and rituals, but it is a factor. So for each one of us, when we self-examine, if I want to actually follow the words of Imam Ali السلام, when he says, therefore, basically work on your worship so that you achieve a higher level of sincerity, I have to look at my worship from two angles, quantity and quality. Quantity is the easy one. Quantity is the one that comes first to mind. And it's not to be neglected. And inshallah, we're going to come back to that in the conclusion of this topic, that we don't want anyone to understand from anything we've said, that we want to neglect or decrease our worship, the amount of worship that we do. We simply want to deepen our level of reflection and understanding of the worship that we do. These are two very different things. So first, worship can be improved by increase in quantity, and it can be improved, and this is the key, improved in better quality, a deeper reflection on the way we worship. Why do we worship? What am I trying to achieve from this specific act of worship? Okay, so this is the first thing. The second thing, as we said, here we have translated as the fruit of worship. We can also say simply the fruit of obedience. Sincerity is the fruit of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we said, it has a negative and a positive meaning. So I'm not dwelling on this. I think it's clear enough. But I want to highlight simply that it should be clear that the greatest hindrance to anything that is spiritual including something as important and crucial as sincerity, the greatest barrier, the greatest obstacle, the greatest hindrance is going to be sins. Disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knowingly. Okay? That's the first hadith. Now we continue with the hadith that are also related to how do we achieve this purity of intention. I thought I would go to a first hadith that will bring together this hadith we actually looked at. So if you've been following this part of the series from the beginning, there should be nothing in this hadith that is entirely new to you. And this is because, in fact, this hadith was broken throughout the series so that we focus on different parts depending on our need, so that we present it in a coherent way, in a logical way. But here, I thought we would go back to the hadith and present it as it is actually said in the hadith. If you go back to the compilations of a hadith, you'll see how many notions are condensed into this one hadith from Imam al-Sadiq salam. And then we'll spend a little bit of time going through a couple of other hadith 
that explains some notions in this hadith. I think this hadith to me is, at least it's a very deep hadith. So Imam al-Sadiq salam, this is reported from him. في قوله تعالى أيكم أحسن عملا So the Imam is asked about these few words in Surah Al-Mulk. And we'll read the, the verse in a, in a second. But he was asked about only these few words. أيكم أحسن عملا الذي خلق الموت والحياة ليبلوكم أيكم أحسن عملا The second verse from Surah Al-Mulk, Surah Tabarak. Okay, 67. قال, so when he was asked about the meaning of these few words, أيكم أحسن عملا, which of you is best in deed, best in action? قال, ليس يعني, these words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created you, He created death and life, so that He tests you, right? قال, ليس يعني أكثركم عملا, ولكن أصوبكم عملا. وَإِنَّمَا الْإِصَابَةِ And the Imam explains himself what is إِصَابَةِ What does he mean by this إِصَابَةِ وَإِنَّمَا الْإِصَابَةِ خَشْيَةُ اللَّهِ وَالنِّيَّةُ الصَّادِقَةُ الْحَسَنَةِ ثُمَّ قَالْ الْإِبْقَاءُ عَلَى الْعَمَلْ حَتَّى يَخْلُصْ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْعَمَلْ وَالْعَمَلُ الْخَالِصْ الَّذِي لَا تُرِيدُ أَنْ يَحْمُدَكَ عَلَيْهِ أَحَدٌ so this, we probably looked at this hadith in three or four different times. Each time we looked at one part, one very small part, and we spent a bit of time explaining it. Okay, so Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, this is from Imam Sadiq, he was asked about these words in the Quran, Ayyukum Ahsanu Amala, which of you is best indeed? So he said, This does not mean the one who does the most deeds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create you, and he did not create death and life and you and everything in this world, so that he sees which of you does the most deeds. Okay? Because it says, Ayyukum Ahsanu Amala, the best indeed. Okay, so he's clarifying. It's not about quantity. Okay, he didn't. It's it does not. This does not mean the one who does the most deeds. Rather, it means the one who is most successful in doing or acting correctly. Okay, that's my interpretation of al asaba. And then the Imam explains what this asaba is. This acting the most correctly, the most successful in hitting the target of worship. Okay, and acting correctly, the Imam says, is fearing God and having truthful and righteous intentions. Okay, fearing God and having rightful, truthful intentions. Then he said, so the Imam continues, to maintain the deed, so this we looked at separately earlier in the series, to maintain the deed, to keep the deed, until it is pure, is more difficult than to perform the deed. Performing the deed initially is the easy part. Okay? But to actually keep that deed in a state of purity or stay with the deed until it becomes pure, so these are different ways of understanding this, and then we're going to see exactly what the Imam says, is actually a lot more difficult. 
Okay? And the pure deed is the one, so the Imam is saying until it becomes pure. And the pure deed, the Imam explains again, is the one for which you do not want any praise to you, is the one, is the deed for which you do not want anyone to praise you for, don't want anyone to praise you for that deed, except God Almighty. And then the Imam recited this verse, say, each acts according to their own way or to their own disposition or to their own nature. Okay? So, and then the Imam added, he explained this notion of shakila. What does this shakila mean? That each acts according to their own disposition. The Imam says, according to their own intent or their own intention. Okay, so a few things to say about this hadith. First of all, the Imam is talking about ayyukum ahsanu amala or is being asked about ayyukum ahsanu amala. As we said, this is a verse in Surah Al-Mulk 67.2 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after the first verse, tabarak alladhi biyadihi al-mulk wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining why he created the world and us in it. So the verse says, and we're not going to spend time, inshallah, one day we'll spend time on these verses of the Qur'an a little bit more. The one who created death and life. And why death before life? And is death something to be created or is it just no, no life? Okay, so clearly here death is not the absence of life. And in the Qur'an, death is not the absence of life. Death is a process through which we move from this realm, from this dimension, from this reality to another. That's death. Has nothing to do with annihilation or destruction or ceasing to exist or any of those notions. Okay? The one who created this notion of death and life in order to try you, liabluakum, to put you through this test, this trial. Ayyukum ahsanu amala. Which of you is best in conduct? Which of you is best in deed? So the Imam, there are people who come to the Imam and who ask him, who ask him, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mean by ayyukum ahsanu amala? This is this is all we want to know. Okay. So here clearly the Imam when he talks, he adds, he says, isabah. It's not about quantity, it's about correctness. Al-Isaba is like when you say uh, you have a goal and you keep hitting that goal. You have a target and you keep hitting that target, that objective. You keep hitting the objective every time you try, right? This is Isaba, this is Taswib, this is being correct or accurate or successful every time. So the Imam is using that term to say it is not about the quantity of your worship, it is the accuracy or the correctness of your worship. Okay, and then the Imam says, and I will explain to you what this correctness is. Fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and fear is not the most, you know, uh, accurate term to translate here because khashya and khawf are two different things. Okay, it's like a reverential fear. It's out of devotion and respect and awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you fear him. 
This is a different kind of fear than just fear. And we will see another narration that talks about fear. But here the Imam used khashiyah. So what does it mean that you're accurate in your worship? That you're successful and you hit the target every time in your worship? It's that you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that you have intentions that are truthful and righteous. Okay? Here, when the Imam says this, there's obviously now a, a type of equation that should come to mind. The Imam is linking here fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with purity of intention. And he says, This is a point of your creation so that you achieve this level. So, what does this mean for us for the how? It means that fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to become, on the one side, there's one way to understand this, is to say it's a condition. You must have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have proper worship, and it is. Another way to understand it is to say it becomes a means. It becomes a key. It becomes a way to achieve this level of sincerity and closeness, to have accurate, good, correct worship, you must have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala along with that act of worship. Why? So here we don't have time to go through all of this and inshallah we'll spend more time in the series that we'll dedicate to character building. We'll talk a lot more about the soul and the faculties of the soul. But one thing that is very clear in very, very summarized way is that the acts of worship to a large extent especially from the point of view of the scholars of akhlaq, the scholars who are always working on the purification of the soul. They tell us that the purpose behind acts of worship is what? It's so that we bring in, we rein in all of the different faculties under the control of your true humanity, which is your mind, which is you, the real you. Okay? Your intellect. You don't let your, let your biological or psychological or whatever other faculties you may have run a wild. All of these have to be within the control, under the reign, under the discipline of your intellect. You have to be in control of these. Okay, Nothing is happening on its own. And this to a large extent, this is an act of will. And this act of will is what you're rewarded for. This is the freedom that you're given, but it requires discipline and it requires effort. But the effort that you're putting in to exert to exert that will over those different faculties, this is what you're being rewarded for, right? These faculties want what they want. You have a part of you that wants to eat. It doesn't care what it eats. It wants to eat now. It's hungry now. This is where the intellect comes in and says, is this the right time to eat? Is this the right thing to eat? Uh, and so on and so forth. And this applies to any other impulse or drive or faculty that we may have. We're built in a certain way. We're hardwired in a certain way. And there's a very good reason for that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put all of this in us for a very good reason. So long as it's being used properly, in a balanced way, under the guidance of the intellect. So acts of worship have these different effects on our soul. Each act of worship has a different effect on our soul, but it's actually bringing in, reigning in, under the discipline of the intellect, some of these faculties. 
That's what you do when you pray. That's what you do when you fast. That's what you do when you perform the pilgrimage, when you pay charity, and so on and so forth. It's that you are training these faculties to come under the sovereignty of the intellect. You don't let them run wild, do whatever they want, get whatever they want at any time just because they want it. Okay? Now, so all of that was the premise, the introduction. Now, if we keep that in mind, we come to this point of the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one more of these things, but it is a key in that it has a huge effect in actually bringing all of these under the sovereignty of the intellect. It is much more universal. It's much more generalized. Each one of these different acts of worship, for instance, they clean the soul. They make these different faculties more subservient. They don't run wild, as we said. If you can actually include the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you make them a lot more subservient. And then everything else, so every effect that the acts of worship can have will be multiplied, will be amplified if you are able to add this ingredient, which is the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's the, the, the key or the link between fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and performing acts of worship. Okay, so that's the first point. And inshallah in the future we'll talk a lot more about all of this. The purity of intentions. So here the Imam again, he talks about So to have isaba, to have correctness in your acts of worship, means also fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also having truthful, righteous intentions. Since this is the end of the topic of sincerity and intentions, I thought I'd go just a little bit deeper in intentions. We've said the it is to start with the topic of intention, even at a notional level, is abstract and not always easy to grasp. And then at the level of practice, it is even more difficult to apply. Okay, it takes a lot of effort. And that's why we said this is the arena, this is the territory of competition of those who really want to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The commoners, they will not care about this. The commoners will be happy with halal, haram, black, white, as though everything is just one level. But those who understand that the degrees of proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are infinite, that they have a personal, intimate relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the ones who are going to care about this. And so the idea here is to also go back to understanding but just how much we can move up in this. Or why do we keep saying that it is a difficult journey, but also one that is very generously rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not to say that the truth is, as we saw in the beginning of this, of this topic of sincerity, that this is actually the reason why we were created. We saw the narrations are very clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us to achieve sincerity, and He gave us religion to achieve sincerity. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving. And so even though we don't achieve sincerity, He accepts our acts of worship as though, you know, 
checked off, we performed it. We attained and achieved what we're supposed to do. Okay, even though it's just an external, uh, you know, act of worship or ritual, at least it was done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts it. But once we start understanding and knowing, we should not be happy and contented with this very shallow way of understanding religion. The more you understand that this, we're talking about your soul as this is something existential. These are not just abstract notions. We're talking about the reality of an entity that you are and how to modify it and polish it by making it directly related and linked and associated with its creator, going back to its creator. Okay, the more you move in that direction, the higher up you go in your development, in your purity, in your achieving the point for which you were created. Okay, so if we go back to this notion of sincerity to, to highlight just how high it can go, this is where we see notions because it's the end, as I said, I don't think that it was appropriate to start the series with this, it might become depressing. Okay, it seems that it's something unattainable. But I think it's also important to know what we can aspire to and how high someone can move up and to understand other things. And we'll come back to those a little bit later, inshallah, today. Okay, so the scholars who look at this, they say, for instance, that um, someone who is performing any act of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you do it as these narrations tell us, where there is nothing in the heart except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you truly want nothing. That's what the hadith said. You truly do not desire anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the definition of al-qalb al-salim. Okay, in the Quran. We have a couple of verses in the Quran that talk about the sound heart. The heart that has no any illnesses in it. What is that heart that is entirely sound, healthy? What is that heart? It's the heart that is empty of anything and everything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's how it's defined. And we'll see in, the, in a couple of narrations what the imam says about that. Okay? So if you come, this is what our scholars say, when you come to a prayer... If you read in the narrations, someone, for instance, who wants to acquire and secure huge blessings in this world, you want to be loved and recognized by the people. And we saw the narrations, right? Having good intentions is going to secure that. Having good intentions means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you in this world. He will bring you rizq. He will take care of you. He will make you successful and powerful and make people fear you. And, and, and we saw a lot of these. We put them all under the heading of Success and spirituality, both. Or let's say you see a narration that says, if you perform Salat al-Layl, if you stand up in the middle of the night and you perform this recommended prayer, then it will bring you great rizq in this world. And it will great, bring you great recognition in this world. Great. What's the issue? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that's what you get. Or if you perform... You know, you give a charity at the beginning of the month, that charity is going to protect you and your household until the end of the month, for instance, or so on and so forth. So you know that these are benefits and repercussions associated with these acts of worship. 
these scholars, they tell us that this means that when you're performing this act, when you're standing to pray in the middle of the night, and no one knows about this, what's really in your heart? Are you praying so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you rizq? Are you giving this charity because you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you? Or are you performing it out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The first case, there's nothing wrong with it. And I would say that's 99.9% of the best of us. But this is so that we understand how high, how much higher a human being can develop spiritually. So that this becomes something of a secondary side effect. I'm not performing my worship in the middle of the night so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives me rizq. Now, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I will also give you rizq for this, great, I will take the rizq. But that's not the intent. That's not what's in my heart driving me to perform this prayer. I'm performing this prayer because it's in the middle of the night and I imagine everyone being asleep. And so I'm special. I have now a special bond and relationship before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As everyone else goes to sleep, I stand and pray to him. Right? So this is an intimate moment between myself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what I'm savoring. This is what I'm enjoying. Or when I perform the act of charity, as the hadith say, when you put an, uh, coins of charity in the hand of the person who is needy, they fall in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before the hand of the needy person. If you understand this notion and you have this notion drive you, then this is different than I'm doing this, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, please protect me and my family until the end of the month. Which in the past I've called having a much more transactional relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I do this, so I expect that. These are two very different relationships. Okay? So this simply is to highlight when we keep saying this is not something that can easily be achieved overnight. When we say purity of intention, sincerity, this is a topic that requires discipline. It requires true drive and true discipline, and you have to work on it. It takes time. You know, no different than going to the gym, and it takes time to build muscles. This is another muscle. It's a spiritual muscle that you have to work on for a long time, and you may need a coach. Okay? You may need people to tell you this is how you do it, and these are the pitfalls and the mistakes to avoid. This is what you have to focus on. These are your weaknesses. This is how you have to discipline yourself over time. This is what you have to habituate yourself in doing. Okay? So, inshallah, this we'll talk uh, more about in the future. But this is the idea of Al-Qalb Al-Salim. And inshallah, we're going to see that in a next narration. The idea that you're actually able to empty the heart from anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is equal to sincerity. That's how we define sincerity in the beginning of the series. So, then the Imam here, he says, Al-Ibqa'u ala al-amal hatta yakhlus ashaddu min al-amal To keep and to maintain the amal until it is pure is more difficult than to perform the amal. Okay, and then he explains hatta yakhlus and then he says wal-amal al-khalas, what it is. Here the, there's two things that we can talk about and we focused on one much more in the series than the other. 
So here I just want to make sure that this one is also not neglected. But this is bringing us to another topic, so I'm not spending too much time on it. We've been focused on the before. The before the act. What's your state as you are about to perform the act? And what is your state while you're performing the act? That's what we focused on. Before I stand to pray, I reflect. I make sure that as I self-examine my intentions, I know what I'm about to do, why I'm about to do it, what are my intentions. And while I'm doing it, I have to try to stay focused and to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and not get distracted or do it for suddenly different intentions. For instance, to show off. But then sometimes the issue does not arise there. Sometimes we become good with time, with focus and discipline and practice. We become really good at having the right intentions at the beginning, before performing the act, and while we perform the act. Where do we fail? Sometimes we fail after. The act was performed and was performed correctly with all the right intentions for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then you go and do something and you ruin everything afterwards. So we're going to see a hadith related to this. And so this might be what the imam is alluding to. So on the one side, he's saying you stick with the action while the action is being performed until, or you stay with it until you make sure that it is performed for the right intents. The other way to understand this is to say, and you focus on not losing the reward and the benefits of that act of worship after you performed it, which in other words means until you die. Okay? Because any time between the time you performed, you finished, you completed the act, and the moment you die, you could lose that act. That's why some of our scholars have said the Quran, when it talks about the rewards, al-hasanah, in some verses in the Quran says, man ja'a bil-hasanah, and it talks about the afterlife. It doesn't say the one who performed the hasana. It says the one who carried the hasana all the way to the afterlife. They didn't lose it on the way. Man ja'a bil-hasanati. They carried the hasana all the way to the afterlife without losing it on the way. Okay? And then finally here, a couple of remarks. The imam linked the topic of intention with uh, something that is much deeper. And we talked a little bit about this when right before starting to talk about the consequences of re- and repercussions of intent, we talked about this idea of where do these intentions stem from. And we looked at a couple of ahadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. We said they work both ways, the good and the bad intents. They come from somewhere deeper in our psyche, somewhere deeper in the nafs. The intent is already pretty deep. It's not something very shallow. The driver behind an act. It's already something that you have to look deeply for and self-examine. It's sometimes hidden, sometimes not entirely clear. But that intent is actually stemming from something much, much deeper. This is what the imam is referring to here when he says, الشاكلة. Each is going to act based on their whatever they are disposed to, their disposition, their way, their manner, their deep nature. 
every agent is going to act based on their deep nature. So the intent stems from that. But there's something deeper. The intent is something that I can maybe, if I focus on it now, I can change my will. I can change my intent. But sometimes it's not easy. But I have that ability. What requires a lot more work is the uh, uh, lower or deeper part of me from which this intent is coming from. There's a part of me that generates these intents. This is my inner nature. This is my deep nature. If you remember, Imam Ali السلام, when he was talking about bad intentions, he said, Da'un Dafin. It's a very deeply buried illness, deep within the psyche, that is going to produce these intents that are vile and evil. Okay? So this brings us to, a, again, that inshallah topic that we'll talk about when we talk about character development. We'll talk about this. What is it that forms this very, very deep part of us? And in short, it is habit. Habit, habit, habit. And if you look at our religion from that angle, you will see the habits that we're supposed to inculcate, create within ourselves. Why? Because those habits are going to become who you are. When you perform something once in a lifetime, completely different than someone who performs a prayer five times a day. If you're actually performing the prayer and not doing an empty ritual. Those habits are going to become who you are. It becomes your nature, your deeper nature. The more you habituate yourself to doing good things, automatically good intentions will stem out of them. And you can see that in yourself, you can see that in other people. What is it that you've habituated yourself on? What has become your second nature that you don't even think about that is really the ground for all of your psyche? Everything that stems out of you is there. Can you change it? Yes, you can. But the deeper you go, the more work it requires to change. Okay, so therefore, one, we have to be conscious of this. Two, we have to work really hard at making sure that whatever habits we have are going to be reflective of what we actually want to stem out of them because it's only natural that those things will stem out of whatever infrastructure we've created at a deeper level. And inshallah, we'll talk about this at the end too. Perhaps inshallah, the last hadith we talk about the earlier you catch this, the more time you have to deal with it. Okay? And as we said, there's a couple of hadith, let's look at them, that will explain parts of this a little bit more. So the explanation of the importance of maintaining what you do, keeping it and not losing it after you've done it. Because I said maybe we've neglected that in the previous, in the series, in the lectures. Imam al-Baqir he says, The same wording as we found in the previous hadith. The companion of the Imam tells him, what, what do you mean maintaining the act? What does that mean? Maintaining the 
فتمحى فتكتب له علانية ثم يذكرها فتمحى فتكتب له رياء سامع الباقر عليه السلام says to maintain the deed to maintain to keep the act is more difficult than to perform the deed the narrator said so i asked and what does it mean to maintain the deed to keep the deed he said a person may perform a good deed towards others or engage in an act of charity for the sake of god alone he's doing it meeting all the conditions everything is done properly for the sake of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone without associating any partners with him la sharika lah lillahi wahdahu la sharika lah sirra and this is the other clue from this hadith okay this person performs this act for instance giving charity sirra in secret no one knows about it then he mentions it he goes and finds a way to tell people i gave this charity okay then he mentions it so the good deed is erased and rewritten the imam says fatumha fatuktab lahu alaniyah he just dropped a huge rank he went from having performed a good deed in secrecy to now having performed a good deed in public okay so it's erased and it's rewritten as having been performed publicly thumma yadhkuruha and then he keeps mentioning it so the imam says so it is erased and rewritten as a deed performed for show it became riya at this point even the chances we gave you you kept talking about it and you ruined it okay so here the first is there's always something to me it's always striking how as we go through these different hadith from the holy quran to the holy prophet to the imams you always find the same terminology and the same notions explained differently but it's always the same it's that same network everybody is looking all of them are looking at the same reality and they're explaining it to us in different ways to me that is perhaps to me at least that's perhaps the strongest proof that these are not just normal human beings but anyways so to me it's striking when i find even the same words being used computers didn't exist at that time okay and today people i assure you if they met together and they agreed on a message and they went and they delivered that message it will not be 100% consistent so we're talking about people over decades or generations in those circumstances and everything's just being reported in all sorts of you know flawed ways and centuries later when we read it we recognize how all of this holds together in a coherent consistent self-explaining way it's actually incredible but anyways so that's just a, a remark a side remark so here notice first of all that there's a gradation right this person went from having performed something in secret to having talked about it to then completely losing the reward okay so there is a gradation one thing related very directly to our topic which is how to achieve sincerity here we have a huge clue the clue is we need to practice and train ourselves to do good deeds in secret that's the clue here that's an easy way to work on our sincerity and our good intentions make sure that no one knows about it 
Can you do that for everything? No. Should you do that for everything? No. There are good deeds that you do that people should know about it because, for instance, it will encourage them. When people see someone giving charity, maybe they will feel embarrassed and they will go and give charity. Or, for instance, they see your good manners. You go overboard, always above and beyond in your good manners so that you attract people to your religion. So you do as the Imam says, so that people say, this is a follower of Ja'far ibn Muhammad al-Sadiq, right? He, too, he would tell people, like act in a way so that it's attractive. Okay, you can go out of your way to do that. There are good deeds that should be done publicly in a way that attracts people or encourages people. There are good deeds that should be done publicly because the only way to make that successful, whatever it is, is to promote it. It's to market it. Okay, do it publicly. But this does not exclude, this does not mean that every good deed you do should be public. You must have something that you do that no one knows about. And keep it a secret. No one needs to know about it. This is between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Use that as your test. And with time, add another deed that no one knows about. No matter what the deed is, maybe you fast Maybe you perform a, a fatha and you give its blessings to some people. Maybe you maintain families of orphans. Maybe you donate time or money or effort or whatever it may be. No one needs to know about it. This is between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This becomes a very practical step that any of us should take on this journey towards higher levels of sincerity and purity of intents. Okay, the next hadith. So in the previous hadith, there was also a mention of the levels, the higher levels of purity of intent. So let's look at this hadith from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, he says, سألته, سألت Imam Sadiq alayhi salam عن قول الله عز وجل إلا من أتى الله بقلب سليم. Okay, قال القلب السليم الذي يلقى ربه وليس فيه أحد سواه. قال وكل قلب فيه شرك أو شك فهو ساقط. and the rawaya continues but that's the part we we need. so Sufyan ibn Uyayna he says I asked Imam Sadiq alayhi salam about the verse except for the one who comes before God with a sound heart. so he's asking about this part of the verse. what does it mean? he said the sound heart is the one which will meet its Lord while there is nothing in it except Him, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The heart is empty. He then said, and every heart, so the Imam added, and every heart that contains shirk, polytheism, or any association with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or doubt, has failed and does not meet this criterion of being a sound heart. Okay? So, first of all, I thought I would at least go through, and the time is moving a lot faster, or I'm spending way too long on these than I was hoping. I thought that I, was, I will not comment. I will at least just recite the verses where this part of the verse is said. إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَ اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ 
Okay, so that we get the full context. I think the context itself, the beauty of that context, and you guys can go and read it. I won't even read all of the verses to save time. I'll read some of them. But this is part of the story of Prophet Ibrahim salam. So this is in Surah Al-Shu'ara. The story of Prophet Ibrahim salam, I believe, starts at verse 69. Okay, I'll read about 10 verses later from there. But that's that Surah Al-Shu'ara is beautiful in that its verses are very small. Okay, every verse is two, three, four words. It goes, it's very fast. Uh, uh, you know, like an action movie, like you would say, there's a lot of action going on. This is how Surah Al-Shu'ara feels. It has a certain tempo in this way. And so it moves quickly from one story of a prophet to another. And it just highlights a few things in each case. So until it gets to the story of Prophet Ibrahim salam. So this, there's a back and forth between Prophet Ibrahim salam and his people. He tells them, what is it that you're worshipping? Why are you worshipping these statues? And they tell them, well, you know, we, find, we found our forefathers worshipping them, so we worship them. So there's the back and forth. And then so finally he says the following. So we'll read the verses very quickly. So, فَإِنَّهُمْ when finally he they, they tell him that said this is what we're going to continue worshiping, Ibrahim salam says فَإِنَّهُمْ عَدُوٌ لِي إِلَّا رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ الَّذِي خَلَقَنِي فَهُوَ يَهْدِينَ وَالَّذِي هُوَ يُطْعِمُنِي وَيَسْقِينَ وَإِذَا مَرِضْتُ فَهُوَ يَشْفِينَ وَالَّذِي يُمِيتُنِي ثُمَّ يُحْيِينَ وَالَّذِي أَطْمَعُ أَنْ يَغْفِرَ لِي خَطِيئَةِ يَوْمَ الدِّينِ رَبِّ هَبْ لِي حُكْمًا وَأَلْحِقْنِي بِالصَّالِحِينَ وَاجْعَلْ لِي لِسَانَ صِدْقٍ فِي الْآخِرِينَ وَاجْعَلْ لِي مِنْ وَرَثَةِ جَنَّةِ النَّعِيمِ وَاغْفِرْ لِأَبِي إِنَّهُ كَانَ مِنَ الضَّالِّينَ وَلَا تُخْزِنِي يَوْمَ يُبْعَثُونَ يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ Okay so in English so Ibrahim alayhi salam is reacting to the statues and idols that they worship. He says, for they are all enemies to me, save the Lord of the word, of the worlds. So here there's maybe an indication that Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam is basically saying that his people also worshipped Allah. In the sense that, and inshallah maybe one day we have lessons of tafsir to, to delve deeper into these. Because he says, they are all enemies to me, except, so that there's no confusion, except the Lord of the world worlds. So in other words, maybe they did also worship Allah, just like the Arabs, part of the Arabs also worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they consider him the Lord of the Lords, or the God of the Gods, or the head God. Okay, And so they said, we are not worthy of worshipping Allah directly, so we have to worship smaller deities, divinities, the ones that are ascribed to our family or our tribe or our geographic location. This is the God we can worship, and He will help us and intervene and allow us to indirectly worship the God of the heavens and the earth. Right, And the Qur'an is very clear about this. So maybe Prophet Ibrahim is referring to the same thing. He says, for they are all enemies to me, save the Lord of the worlds, the one who created me. So he is the one to guide me. And he is the one who gives me food and drink. And when I am ill, he is the one who cures me. And he is the one who will cause me to die, then give me life. And he is the one who I hope will forgive me my sin on the day of judgment. O oh my Lord, bestow upon me wisdom and join me with the righteous ones and grant me a repute of truth amongst the latest. Okay? So most likely this means, 
He's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make people speak about him as though he's someone who stood up for the truth in the end of times or until the end of times. Okay, there's a lot in these verses. We don't have time to go through them. So grant me a repute of truth in the latest, maybe the latest generations. Okay, and make me of the heirs, of the inheritors of the paradise of bliss. And forgive my father, for he was of those who are astray. Okay, in the story of Ibrahim السلام, whether it's his biological father or his uncle, Li'abi, Al-Ab can be the person who raises you, the male figure who raises you in the Quran, can be the father, grandfather, uh, uncle, paternal uncle. So all of this can be referred to as Ab. Okay, forgive, me my, uh, forgive for my father, for he was of those who are astray, and do not disgrace me on the day they are resurrected, the day no wealth will avail, nor children, except the one who will come to God with a sound heart. Okay, so I think, and we don't have time to comment on all of this, but the idea is that, first of all, this is a, an amazing example of how to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I would say, you don't need to create your own prayer. Just go to this and read it. Okay, it applies to every human being. And then the secondly, there's a, a type of thinking that accompanies this way of speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that accompanies true sincerity. So none of us are going to doubt that Ibrahim alayhi salam is at the highest levels of sincerity. I find this verse when he at the end and everyone focuses on this verse in the Quran except for the one who will come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a sound heart. The Quran actually says elsewhere Ibrahim alayhi salam had qalb salim. Okay, so there is a lot of very deep meaning here. When Ibrahim alayhi salam says, uh, when he asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I hope that you will forgive me and do not disgrace me in the... Of course, we don't think that with Ibrahim's level of infallibility, that th what he's asking would be what I am asking when I say, do not disgrace me and you know, don't make me fall into these sins and forgive me those sins. Okay, the Holy Quran itself testifies, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala testifies that Ibrahim had al-qalb al-salim in the Quran elsewhere. In any case, we'll talk about that inshallah in the future. So here, and as part of this, so this person who has this type of sincerity in the way he dealt with those people and how he responded to them. First of all, there is clarity in who he is and what he stands for. Secondly, you see the strength and the confidence of his character, right? It's unshakable. There is no doubt in how he's responding and he's all alone against everyone, against all of his people. The Holy Quran says Ibrahim alone was a nation. Alone, all alone, okay? Against a real nation, but he was the nation. This is the strength of character. This is your identity, who you are, what's your position, what do you stand for? Okay, and we're going to see that in the next ahadith. And then you see in everything he talks about, his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolute. There's nothing else. There's no disease, there's no food, there's no drink, there is no death, there is no life. There is, there's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And everything is an act of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so and that's why it's, I, I try to translate the verses in this way, that it is he who, it is he who feeds me, and it is he who gives me drink, and it is he who cures me when I am ill, and so on and so forth. In any case, so 
in very short, I would say, maybe this is a call for us when we look at this type of hadith, when the Imam says, that heart that has nothing in it except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to at least self-examine our hearts from time to time. What is in them? Okay, How much of God is there and how much of other things are there and maybe something to do about that? Okay, just a call in that direction. Then the link with intellect and the link with action. So we've talked about intents, sincerity. Now I want to link it with the topic from which this stemmed, which is knowledge and intellect, and the topic to which we're going, which is knowledge must lead to action. Okay, that's the next topic. So here, the same as, you know, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. Notice here this hadith. We said Imam Sadiq was asked about when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I have created death and life so that I may try you. Who is the best in deed or in action amongst you? Right? Ayyukum ahsanu amala. Imam Sadiq was asked and we went through his hadith. We began with it. The Holy Prophet was asked the same hadith. So let's see his answer when he was asked about this. سَأَلَ أَبُوْ قُتَادَةِ الْقُتَادَةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ عَنْ مَعْنَى أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا فَأَجَابَ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَقْلًا ثُمَّ قَالَ أَتْمَمُكُمْ عَقْلًا وَأَشَدُّكُمْ لِلَّهِ خَوْفًا وَأَحْسَنُكُمْ فِيمَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِهِ وَنَهَى عَنْهُ نَظَرًا وَإِنْ كَانَ أَقَلَّكُمْ تَطَوْعًا so one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, he asks him about the meaning of which of you is best in action. So he answered, which of you is best in intellect? So this brings us back to the beginning of the series. Okay? Or which of you is the best in reason? Then the Holy Prophet added. So the real answer is given. Ayyukum ahsanu amala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us to see who amongst us is best in deed. The Holy Prophet said it means best in intellect. That's the real answer. Then the Holy Prophet added. So this is the explanation of that best intellect. The most complete in intellect and the most fearful of God Almighty. So remember the hadith before? That's why I say if you put them together, you see how they mesh perfectly. And the most fearful of God Almighty, and the best in reflecting, or the best in understanding, the nadar can be to reflect on something or to understand something, that which God has ordered and prohibited. Even if he is of less quantity in worship, or in voluntary worship, depends on tatawah. Is it all worship or specifically the worship that is recommended, that is not obligatory? Okay, so a lot of points in this hadith from the Holy Prophet. The first, first of all, related to the how. How do we achieve sincerity? Again here, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he linked worship and fear of God. So that's one. So we said this whole category of ways to achieve sincerity and purity of intent is called worship. So we're, all of this is worship. So the Holy Prophet speaks directly about worship here. 
and he says, fear of God. So the second point, as we said initially, the answer that the Holy Prophet gave to the question, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mean when he says that he created us to see which of us is best in conduct? He said it is to see who amongst us is best in intellect. Okay, so we're not going to spend more time on that, but I think this one is, it has big shock value for someone who would not have attended or has forgotten what we covered at the beginning of the series. Okay, that's two. Then the Holy Prophet explained what that means, what intellect means. And so he gave explanations or instances or examples or things that stem out of the intellect. So what did he say? That's the first one. How do we know that you have that you have the most complete intellect? First criteria the Holy Prophet gives is the one who is most fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Sadiq was using khashyah. The Holy Prophet says, أَشَدُّكُمْ لِلَّهِ خَوْفًا That's why I told you they're not the same. Okay? أَشَدُّكُمْ لِلَّهِ خَوْفًا First criteria. And then second criteria, when he says, أَحْسَنُكُمْ فِيمَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِهِ وَنَهَا عَنْهَ نَظَرًا Okay, so everything that we've been talking about throughout the series, whether it's in this hadith or every other hadith, we've talked about sincerity and the how and the acts of worship, rituals, so on and so forth. Everything has to stem from intellect. If those things are stemming from the intellect or the true knowledge, then they are true knowledge. If the knowledge you have leads to fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that was the whole point. That was the entire discussion that we had. How do we know that this knowledge is Islamic? We understand the importance of the knowledge. So which knowledge? Well, is it knowledge that makes you fearful of Allah? If it is, it's Islamic. The more fearful, the more Islamic it is. That's the true definition. That's the true criteria that we have to take into account when we look at knowledge. Is it leading to that type of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? It doesn't matter what the label of that knowledge is. It's what's the effect that it has on your soul. Okay? That was the second point. The third point. Notice that the Holy Prophet here, he says, and the best in reflecting on or understanding about the prohibitions and the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even when the Holy Prophet said that there are prohibitions, there are things that are not allowed and there are things that are commandments, that are orders from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he didn't say the one amongst you who does the most or who obeys the most, who adheres the most. He didn't say that. He says the one who has ahsanukum nawara. Nawar can mean either deep understanding or reflection that you reflect on those things. The one who understands the most or reflects the most on God's prohibitions and God's commandments. Different from saying the one who does. And in case this is not clear, the Holy Prophet finishes, ends the hadith by saying, even though the person may not be the one who does the most acts of worship or the most voluntary acts of worship, depending on the understanding. 
Okay, and so we repeat, as always, that here the point is not to say that we don't want people. We want people to decrease, to pray less, to worship less. To That's not the point at all. It's the opposite. But there needs to be more reflecting. There needs to be a deeper outlook on our acts of worship. Okay, it, it is not enough to simply perform the act of worship as though they are automatic robotic mechanical rituals okay then a few hadith that i can go over quickly inshallah the next hadith comes to us from imam sadiq so we talked about the purity of the heart we talked about al-qalb al-salim and what it means so this is actually the other how to to achieve sincerity is to work through the heart. To try to achieve a level where we actually have al-qalb al-salim. Not in the sense, so one sense was the spiritual emptying of the heart, the cleansing, purifying of the heart of anything and everything that is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's another way to understand this. Okay? So we said the first and foremost step when it comes to the heart is that it can't have any, not only anything, anything is neutral. It cannot have any sins. It cannot have any disobedience. This is going to be the, the filth that blocks your ability to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to have a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's first and foremost. The second level is that what we talked about that you're emptying the heart of everything. But that's a very, very high level. And there's something in between. And the something in between is that there are illnesses, spiritual illnesses, that we have to get rid of. Hypocrisy is one of them. Those acts of showing off or diseases, spiritual diseases like envy and jealousy, for instance. These are types of filth that prevent the heart from soaring, from developing, from being pure, to turn really towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These things hold it back. And so it requires a very attentive look from us into our hearts, in the way we behave, and how we treat others, how we feel when we hear things about others. Does it make me feel good? Does it make me feel happy? Or is there some, something ill and wrong in the way I feel, in my reaction? Okay, this needs cleansing. This is part of what prevents the heart from becoming salim. It's not salim. It's saqim. It's ill. It's diseased. So we have to uproot those spiritual diseases, psychological diseases from the heart. Okay? And so we are, are already talked about there is something very deep from within us from which these intentions stem. And that's why the Imam talked specifically about this as being da'un dafin, evil intents being a very deeply buried illness, very deeply buried disease, Imam Ali alayhi salam says. He literally uses that terminology. Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, sahibu niyyat al-sadiqah. The one who has truthful intent is the one who has the sound heart, 
that we just talked about that Ibrahim السلام, was mentioning. لِأَنَّ سَلَامَةَ الْقَلْبِ مِنْ هَوَاجِسِ الْمَحْذُورَاتِ بِتَخْلِيصِ النِّيَةِ لِلَّهِ فِي الْأُمُورِ كُلِّهَا قال الله عز وجل يوم لا ينفع مال ولا بنون إلا من أتى الله بقلب سليم. So the Imam says the one with the truthful intent is the one who has the sound heart. Because the soundness of the heart from the whispers of the forbidden is achieved through the purification of intent towards God in all, in all matters. And then the Imam recited the same verse. So, in other words, here the Imam is basically saying anything that falls under, anything that hinders the soundness of the heart, the sanity of the heart, the health, the cleanliness, the purity of the heart needs to be removed from the heart. Okay, so of course, this is going to include envy and jealousy and narcissism and ego and fadl. Yes, so sahibu niyat as-sadiqah, sahibu al-qalb as-salim. Li'anna salamata al-qalb min hawajis al-mahdhurat bitakhleis al-niyati lillah fi al-umuri kulliha. And I can share it on the group afterwards if you want to. Okay, inshallah. Knowledge and action. So more hadith directly in this in this line knowledge and action so we saw already intellect the holy prophet talking about intellect now we want to link knowledge and action we want to circle back to the beginning of the series imam ali salam says amal the fruit of knowledge is sincerity in action so this is, I was hoping that this to you would be going, as they say, back full circle. Okay, we began the series with, why did we begin a series on life with knowledge and intellect? And now we're, we've been talking for, I don't know, 13, 14 lectures on sincerity and intent and purity of intentions. And the conclusion is Imam Ali alayhi salam saying, thamaratul ilm, the fruit of knowledge is sincerity in action. So you have all three notions that we've covered until now in one very, very small hadith from Imam Ali salam. The first one is the one that we began with, knowledge and intellect. The second one is intent and sincerity. And the third one that inshallah we're about to start is action. So the Imam says the fruit of knowledge is sincerity in action. We're created to act, but the act has to be sincere. So we have to talk about sincerity first. And in order to act sincerely, you must have knowledge. And so much knowledge that it bears a fruit. And we're going to see that in the next hadith. Okay? So, inshallah, the link of knowledge, sincerity, and action is clear. And again, as as I think we, we made clear too when we talked about knowledge, the point of knowledge should never be knowledge for itself. We said knowledge must lead to action. And so you see it very clearly here. There's a thamara, right? It can't be just a barren fruit, a barren tree. It has to bear a fruit. This knowledge, this tree of knowledge has to give something. 
And the thing that it gives is action. If you stay at the level of a tree without fruits, knowledge without action, you're not producing anything. That's not the point of the tree. The point of the tree is not just to be a tree. It has to bear fruit. The knowledge has to produce something and the something is action and not any action has to be sincere. Okay, the next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, Sabab al-ikhlas al-yaqeen. The means or the cause of sincerity is certainty. What's yaqeen? Certainty, what is it? Knowledge has many levels. The highest level of knowledge is yaqeen. When you first know about something, you may have doubts about it. You have shek. You can have dhan, probability, on both sides. It could be, it could not be, we're not sure. There is 20% doubt, 50% doubt, 80% doubt, but there's doubt. Until you reach a point where you can say, I'm certain, I have certainty. There's zero doubt. Imam Ali alayhi salam here, he says, Sababul ikhlas the cause, the means of sincerity is certainty. The how that we've been asking about, this is the answer. How do you achieve true sincerity? Is by achieving certainty first. You have to work on your knowledge so that you can achieve sincerity. Okay? And there's so many ahadith in this regard. Another one from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-Ikhlas Thamaratul Yaqeen. So in this, he flips it, sincerity is the fruit of certainty. Earlier he said, Thamaratul Ilm, he talked about knowledge. So knowledge is more general. Now he's specifying what level of knowledge. He's saying, no, no, it's not just any knowledge. It has to be the highest level of knowledge. It has to be Yaqeen. Okay, so Al-Ikhlas Thamaratul Yaqeen. Imagine yaqeen being a tree and it produces a fruit. The fruit of that tree is sincerity. Another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam. This one a little bit more explanation than the previous one. I, I intently do it this way. Ikhlas al-amal min al wa salah So sincerity of action is the result of strength of certainty, so knowledge, and goodness of intention, or rectitude of intention. So, first of all, we learn in this hadith, min yaqeen. We learn in this hadith that even yaqeen, we just said that knowledge has a lot of levels. And the highest level of knowledge, form of knowledge is yaqeen, where there is no doubt. The Imam here is saying من قوة اليقين يقين can have weak يقين and strong يقين stronger يقين The Imam says إخلاص العمل to have sincerity in action is the result of what? is to have strength of certainty so that's one so we learned that even certainty has levels and you need to achieve higher levels of certainty nothing shakes your belief nothing shakes your knowledge no doubt can creep in. Okay, that's one. And two, that's one. So there's degrees in yaqeen as well. Secondly, there's a little bit of an equation here. 
right? The Imam is saying there is something that results out of two ingredients. So the more yaqeen you have, the strength of certainty, the more yaqeen you have, plus having good intentions, so you have to have the knowledge, and you have to have the purity of intent, this is going to lead to sincere actions, which is where we're headed in this series. That's why it's the next topic. Okay, we're headed towards the result now. We've worked on the premises that will lead to that result, inshallah. Okay, and so also a reminder for us that when you see this, it means that you should never be contented with what you have. When you keep seeing that no matter what you look at, you look at knowledge, you see it has a lot of degrees. And then within those degrees, there's a highest level, it has yaqeen. Okay, so yaqeen is a very high level, that's what I want to achieve. No, don't be happy with that. Aim for the highest level of yaqeen. There's no end to how high you can go. So don't satisfy yourself with a lower level. It means there's a, a constant move towards getting better. That should be your aim, that should be your plan, that should be your objective. Okay, and the idea sometimes someone may think that this is tiring, it's a lot of work. Yes, it is. That's the whole point. The Holy Quran says, You're going to be struggling a lot towards your Lord until you meet Him. It's one uphill battle until you meet your Lord. Okay? This is, this is how the world is, is created. This is how you are created. This is the entire purpose of your creation, is that you move towards Allah. And this is what you're rewarded for. This is the reward you're going after. And we said there is a way to do this, we talked about this the last time, in which you start to find a sweetness in this journey. So that what looks like it's so difficult for others is actually very enjoyable to you. Okay, this kid is not something that is not pleasurable. No, it's, there is sweetness in it. You find joy in moving in that direction. Okay, and so I'll finish with this. Inshallah, we didn't take too long. I'll finish with this last hadith. So we talked about intentions stemming from very deep within. I tried to allude to the fact that I'll finish with this, so I'm happy that I made it. Intentions, they stem from very deep within us. That's one. We said that our deeper natures, and inshallah we'll explain this in much more detail in the future, our deeper natures, they are formed by our repeated actions. The more you repeat, the more it becomes who you are. And those intentions, they stem out of those. You want good intentions, you, have to, you want to have good intentions stem out of you effortlessly, then you have to have the grounds for it. You have to have the deep nature that is so good that this is the type of intent that comes out of it naturally, effortlessly. And if not, then you have a lot of work to do to change your habits, to do different types of repeated actions, so that you erode what's there and you replace it so that what comes out is what you want to come out naturally. If everything's a struggle, it means you have to work at a deeper level. Okay, and inshallah we'll explain the reasons for that in, later. So the conclusion from this, 
as we said earlier, is that we have to start earlier. By starting earlier, you're giving yourself a chance that as soon as those intentions start coming out, they're coming out from a good foundation. And the other issue is that if you have something there that you have to break down and replace, that's always a lot more work than to start from scratch. If you have a blank slate and you begin with a blank slate, with an empty canvas, as opposed to having to erase or remove or destroy or get rid of what's there, it's a lot more work. So let's see this hadith from Imam Ali. Imam Ali alayhi salam. This is taken from Nahj al-Balagha. The way it is presented in Nahj al-Balagha, it says that this is part of a letter that Imam Ali alayhi salam sent to Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam. Okay, inshallah one day in the future we'll spend some time on this. I, I do not lean towards this being a letter necessarily to Imam al-Hasan alayhi salam. It might have been to Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyya. Okay, another son of Imam Ali alayhi salam, but not necessarily Imam al-Hasan. Regardless, this is a letter Imam Ali alayhi salam is writing after the battle of Safin. Okay, so and that in itself requires a lecture to understand how you leave the battle of Safin and then you write a letter like this. Okay, so in our worlds, these would be very compartmentalized and different dimensions of life. In the world of Imam Ali alayhi salam, this is all one thing. So in any case, so this is letter 31 in Nahj al-Balagha. For those of you, if you want to go back and read it, it's in fact quite long. So apart from uh, the, 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 the treatise of Imam Ali alayhi salam to Malik, Malik al-Ashtar, in which he explains to him how to rule, uh, this would be the longest, perhaps, uh, sermon or, or uh, uh, text in Nahj al-Balagha. Okay, so it's a quite a, a lengthy text but very readable. And at some point he says, and this is the only part that we're looking at, at some point he says, وَرَأَيْتُ حَيْثُ عَنَانِي مِنْ أَمْرِكَ مَا يَعْنِي الْوَالِدَ الشَّفِيقِ وَأَجْمَعْتُ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَدَبِكِ أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكِ وَأَنْتَ مُقْبِلُ الْعُمُرِ وَمُقْتَبَلُ الدَّهْرِ ذُو نِيَةٍ سَلِيمَةٍ وَنَفْسٍ صَافِيَةٍ so Imam Ali alayhi salam, he writes, Since those of your affairs that concern a merciful father are, a, are of a concern to me, okay, since I am a merciful father, there are affairs that concern a merciful father with regards to their son, to his son. So the Imam says, and since I am such a father, those things are going to concern me of yours. And because of what I have committed myself towards in your upbringing and training, right? So the Imam says, I've devoted myself, I've committed myself to raising you properly, okay? And because of what I have committed myself towards in your upbringing and training, I concluded, or I thought, that this must be, so he's, he's telling him why did he write this letter. So he explains, in the letter he gives a lot of reasons why, he wrote this letter. And this is one of them. He says, so first of all, there are some of your affairs that concern me, 
that would concern some of your affairs as a son should concern a merciful father. And since I'm a, I'm a merciful father, this concerns me. That's one. And two, because of my commitment towards your upbringing, that's two. And then I concluded, therefore, that this must be, I have to give you this advice, I have to write to you this letter, this must be while you are advancing towards life. What's the alternative? You're walking away from life. It means you're past halfway in your age. Right? So he tells him while, this must be while you are advancing towards life, facing your time with a sound intention and a pure spirit. So what is the Imam saying here? And this is the point that I wanted to end on this point for this section. We're talking about how. How to achieve a higher level of intent, a higher level of sincerity. Imam Ali السلام, when he talks to his son, regardless of which son it is, he tells him, and I decided that I'm going to do this while, in short, while you are still young. And I was hoping that I would end this entire section where we've highlighted perhaps the difficulty of going through the purification process of working on our purity of intent, of our sincerity. We end on this note, the majority of you, all of you, and the majority of those following are young. You are still early in your lives. The how, you don't need to work too far on the how. Based on what the Imam is saying, he's saying you're already there. You're starting with an advantage. The advantage is your youth. This is your credit. This is what you're working with. This is your starting point, that you're young and this youth is going to, what's going to give you So you are at a phase in your life where you're still facing your life. You still feel that your life has not begun or it's just about to begin. You're still facing the world. You're not starting to walk away. Okay, You're not past the half point where basically that's it. You're, you turn away and now your back is facing the life and you're walking towards death. You're walking towards away from life. You're facing, you are, you are towards this world, you are towards your life and your world. And so what's the conclusion? To me that's the highlight. The Imam says, Which means what? That you are still young. That you still have niyyah, the same word that we saw in the heart. Salim, the sound heart. The Imam here, he says, while you're still young, you have what? You have niyatin salima. Your intent is sound. You're starting off with having the right intent. You haven't been corrupted by the world yet. Okay? وَنَفْسٍ And you have a pure soul. Your soul is still pure. And every day that you will live in this world is going to take you away from this. When you're 20, you're in much better shape than when you will be 22. And at 22, you'll be in much better shape than when you're 25. And 25 is much better than 40, and 40 is much better than 60. Okay, and that is the truth. And the Imam is highlighting this here. 
He tells them, I'm catching you while you're still young. I don't need to do a lot of work. All I need to do is tell you, this is the direction. This is what you do because you're clean. You're good. And you have purity. So this is a recognition from the imam as a father talking to his son. He tells him, you're still pure. Seize this opportunity. Know what you have. What you have is niyatan salima. We spent a whole lot of time trying to understand what we have and how to achieve it and how difficult it is. The Imam here, inshallah, we end on this positive note. Inshallah, all of you listening, all of you watching, you are young. You are still facing towards your life, facing your life, facing your world. There's so much ahead of you. But you can't let the time pass by because this is how the world corrupts. And this is how you lose that purity. You lose that innocence. And there's a lot more undoing and a lot more cleansing and a lot more purification that has to happen. When you start out, you start out with niyatin salima wa nafsin safiya. This is what you have, so don't lose it. Inshallah, the next time we meet, we... There's a few remarks that I wanted to highlight from the whole uh, topic of sincerity and purity of intentions, just so that there are no misconceptions about the some of the things we said. And then we'll highlight the principles as we have done with every topic that we've covered. Very quickly, just enumerating all of the principles, in very short and sweet format. And then inshallah, the time that we meet after that, we'll be ready to start talking about what does knowledge tell us about action and where does it lead in terms of action? Where do we start? Okay? Wasallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin. Okay, so if there are questions, concerns, comments, more than happy to take them. Tfadl. I just want to put this like uh, together in, in a small head. Um, so, because uh, I missed some lectures, but like as you're like, uh, like speaking the topic, uh, like some thoughts come into my head and I also, so I just want to make sure if it's all like interconnected in one way or another. So, you mentioned uh, uh, and uh, from not long, uh, you mentioned that the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, he said, uh, explaining, he said, Atmamukum Akla, right? So, uh, Atmamukum Akla, like, uh, uh, so, like, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, Walahum Kulubun Ya'kuluna Biha. Yeah, those La Ya'kuluna Biha, yes. Walahum Kulubun So you mentioned that, uh, for example, you do a good deed, 
and then after you, you speak about it, and then you speak another time, and then it becomes like a show off, right? So, uh, like, also relates to Imam Ali al-Khalifa, he says, Man kathra kalamu, kathra khata'u ila akharihi, wa min mu'ata qalbuhu dakhalannar. And then, like, also relates to illa man atallah dakhalbin salim. So therefore, there are people who come with a dead heart, right? Okay, so so uh, it's a very complex question, compound question. Um, I found three questions in it. So the first one, uh, and it's beautiful because basically there is one um, theme regrouping all of this, which is qalb. Okay, that's what I find in, in what you're asking. So the hadith from the Holy Prophet in which he says, أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَقْلًا فَأَجَابْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَقْلًا Right? أَيْ أَتْمَمُكُمْ عَقْلًا أَشَدُّكُمْ لِلَّهِ خَوْفًا أَحْسَنُكُمْ فِيمَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِهِ وَنَهَا عَنْهُ نَظَرًا So أَحْسَنُكُمْ نَظَرًا فِيمَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ وَنَهَا So you took that hadith and brought it to the Holy Quran. The issue is that the Holy Quran, and this really deserves a topic on its own, how the Holy Quran uses the word, the term of qalb. Okay, and one of the examples is the one that you gave. Is the qalb in the Holy Quran this uh, heart, as in the physical, biological heart? No, that's not what is used in the Holy Quran. It seems to be the way, like in our uh, modern English way of talking, the Holy Quran seems to be using the heart as the mind but on the spiritual side. But al-qalb is the mind in the Qur'an. Okay, so that with understanding that, when you come to these ahadith, then you see the link, right? So in the normal way we talk, we use aql, for instance. Okay, but the Holy Qur'an doesn't use it. It does use aql, but it also uses qalb. And the qalb, it says, this is what you use to really understand. Not to understand, you know, the logic stuff that everybody should understand. Even maybe a machine can understand it, right? It's really understand. Understand, for instance, that therefore you are guided. If this is the conclusion of your understanding, then this is the qalb. The Quran uses qalb to understand here. Okay? So that's the first point. Otherwise, what you said, completely true. Uh, and you're completely right. Uh, I didn't really catch the second question, but... I believe that uh, you're basically saying that someone who speaks too much, for instance, is a sign of lack of uh, uh, reason, and that lack of reason will basically be their demise, right? It's a death of heart. So. If I try to like elaborate on it, uh, it's not speak in general, but like, uh, like if, if I'm trying to like understand it, uh, it's basically like... Um, because speaking is an action, right? So, for example, like uh, maybe like shifting your intention. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, 
I have I know this person who's very intellectual, and he made a couple of uh, uh, Sunnis who were like debating with him. He turned them into Shia. Uh, but I noticed that later, um, when he speaks to his audience, the Shia audience, uh, he repeatedly, in multiple occasions, for example, was like, um, I'd say, like, kind of like showing off that, oh, I've made this many people, uh, like, turn Shia. And it became like kind of like, you know, like shifting the intention of doing it for the. Like, I'm not trying to like accuse, but I'm saying like, could it be like that if we, uh, if we act with our, uh, with our like lips more like, like, you know, like talking about what we're doing could like maybe shift our intention towards what we originally like hoped for? Uh. Is it at least to like, uh, like, like really serious ending because it says, uh, and it, at least to the, the head, the heart dying, that which leads to uh, the person leaving out. Mm-hmm. So we all can, uh, Absolutely. And so, Imam Ali, this is a theme that is very, very, very present in the sayings and the wordings and the and the hadith of Imam Ali. There is a focus on uh, not being led by your tongue. Not falling for the the pitfall, you know. We've been talking about the faculties, right? Uh, and this is certainly one of them. But in today's world, you know, like biological faculties and desires and other ones are so prominent. Almost no one talks about what Imam Ali alayhi salam talks about a lot, which is the tongue. Okay, that people just don't control their tongue, and this is going to be their demise. This is going to be their downfall. That you keep talking and then that talking is going to lead you and lead you and lead you and eventually that's it. You've lost faith you because you're someone who talks. And so you are 100% right in, in this and in your understanding of the hadith, 100%. Um, lastly, the, the last question I think uh, had to do with nadar. We're saying about nadar. Um, it depends how it's used in Arabic. So... If you go back to the narrations, um, if you are someone, Ashab uh, al for instance, and people like that, uh, this is different from Basira. Uh, Basira is, is a guidance. And is simply uh, to have um, well-informed opinions, researched, well-thought-out thinking, you know? You say someone who is, you know, a good thinker about a topic, this is someone who has nadar. Okay, they, they're someone who have... Uh, you know, done their homework and they have strong opinions about things. Okay, so in this sense, you have nadar. This is different from, for instance, when the Quran fanduru. Fanduru is more. This is physical, but when the context, like we have here, this is not something you see with the eyes. So what is it? So it's with the mind. Okay, the nadar here is reflection. Al Basira, and we talked about Basira. So if you go back in the in the in the last couple of lectures, we spent. Uh, a few ahadith on Basira, Basira being very clearly one of the repercussions or the, the positive spiritual consequences of ikhlas. The more ikhlas you have, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you Basira, allows you to tell apart right and wrong. When everybody else is confused and falling into deep troubled fitna, you will have a spiritual light. Okay, and you will be a light to others, a lantern to others, as the hadith said. Okay, so this is basira. 
And there are ways to acquire that basira. Nadar is, is your ability to uh, use your intellect and think and, and come up with your own opinion about something. That's nadar. So here the Holy Prophet is using that very, let's call it neutral. So it's not good or bad. It's just an ability to think deeply about things. The Holy Prophet is saying, Ahsanukum nadaran, in what? So someone may, I don't know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but compare. Someone may spend their whole life, I don't know, studying paint. Nothing wrong with it. Maybe it's my job. Maybe I make money out of that. Okay. Compare that. And so they have nadar. They have opinions. They're a specialist and expert in this field of paint. Compare that with what the Holy Prophet says here. This other person, he's dedicated his nadar to fima amar Allah azza wa jal bihi wa naha'an. To those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed and those things that he has commanded and those things that he has prohibited. So basically his religion. Both of these are exercising nadar. But what are you applying it to? This is what's going to make the difference. One person is not going to have any nadar in God's religion. They're going to act blindly. Okay, what does God want me to do? Give money? Okay, here's money. Take it. Pray? Okay, I'll stand and pray. Uh, how, how do you pray? Like this? Okay, I'll perform the prayer. It does nothing on the inside. Okay, I, I just go through. And another person is, no, is reflecting on this. Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells me pray or fast or give charity? What is it supposed to do to me? Is it doing that? And if it's not, then what's wrong? Is it something I'm not doing? I'm doing wrong? Uh, I'm missing something? Whatever it may be. But there is a, a deeper thinking that is required. You can't just think, you know, I'm just going to go through the motions and things are going to happen on their own. Okay? So I think this is the, the, uh, the idea of nadar. The, the notion of nadar, and there is a lot more that we can talk about, but actually nadar is one of the synonyms that we didn't talk about when we started the series on aql. So we said, uh, we began with ilm, and then we talked about aql. And we said aql in the ruwayat has a lot of synonyms, depending on how it's used. One of them is nadar. Okay, so it's your ability to use your intellect. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or bad. Whereas basira, no. The way basira is used in the ahadith is very clearly uh, guidance. A guidance of the heart. An insight of the heart. It's the, the, the uh, I think it's Imam Sajjad alayhi salam. He says that everyone has two eyes in their head and two eyes in their heart. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open those two eyes for you. Okay, so this is your basira. Those, those eyes of the, the soul. So, good questions, and I know that these, if they are linked, that's a, that's a very good topic. That's a very deep and good topic. So, excellent. Ahsan, Muhammad. Tfadlu. You mentioned the verse. I did not mention it, but there is that verse, yes. Wa'abud rabbaka hatta ya'tiyaka al-yaqeen. And so, yeah, it's... So, my question is... Uh, Let's link it to our the lecture about yaqeen. And we said yaqeen is a certainty, so it's the highest level of knowledge. So there, there is this uh, question and it's one uh, thought, discussion of uh, Allah has told us in the Quran that He has created us to worship Him. And we've seen in the series of, of knowledge what worship means. Uh, you know, to actually understand him or, or uh, grow 
and build our knowledge and so on. But here, can we say that once we have achieved that certainty, uh, and we have really achieved sincerity through Yakini, then can we just, you know, what's the point of praying anymore? What do we say to that? So there's a few answers. So the question is, the Holy Quran says, and worship your Lord until you reach yaqeen. Okay, so in short, does it mean that if someone achieves this yaqeen, this certainty, then they don't need to worship anymore? So this is a very old objection. And in fact, there are groups of Muslims who actually maintained this position. Um, I'm going to simply, you know, associate them with some Sufis who, who have said, who have maintained this position, that you worship your Lord until you achieve a certain level of enlightenment. And then once you achieve that, you don't need to worship. So you can do whatever you want after that because now you're enlightened. Okay, so of course, first, and so what do we answer to this? There's a lot of answers. Okay, there's, you know, entire books written about this. But in very short, First, there is a, a discussion of interpretation that needs to happen. When the verse says, The certainty or the certitude. What is the certainty or the certitude? So a lot of uh, Mufassireen have said this is death. is death. Okay, so you worship God until you reach that thing which is certain. What is certain? It is death. End of story. So that's one way to get rid of that. Secondly, I don't think that those people will claim that their level of worship, for instance, and therefore knowledge and certainty is higher, let's say, than the prophets and the imams, depending on who they are. And we see that none of those people stopped worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at any given time, no matter how much certainty they have. So either we say that it was all an act and they were not really worshiping, or which we reject completely, or we say the truth is anyone who studies the life, let's say, of the Holy Prophet or the Imams or these high noble people, uh, these saints, the higher up they went, the more knowledge they acquired, the more they worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Holy Quran got revealed to the Holy Prophet, he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even more than he was before, to the point where the Quran was telling him, Taha ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'ana li tashqa. Right? We did not reveal, and one of the reasons why the Qur'an says that, uh, according to some narrations, is that the Holy Prophet would exhaust himself in worship and prayer. The same thing can be said about Fatima al-Zahra, Imam, Imam Ali Imam al-Hasan, each one of the Imams. Okay, None of them were lacking knowledge, none of them were lacking certainty, and yet they worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala non-stop. The other discussion is, uh, it, your state your, uh, the worship that you have towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is this a matter of um, kind of a blind ritual like a checklist this is what we've been talking about all along or is it a state a state that you're in if I'm in a state of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then I do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells me to do it's not about, you know, checking off, did you pray? I prayed. Did you? Did you? And then therefore these ingredients provide certainty and I'm done. You can never be done. What is your state of being? What is your state of existence? You are a creature. Therefore, you are a servant of your creator. If you understand that relationship, 
then you understand that you can't get out of that relationship. You can't be in a state of not being a creature. You can't be in a state of not being a servant of your Lord. So that you say, I'm enlightened. What you, so therefore you're no longer a creature. You don't need to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is something that was used by, I believe Imam al-Radha at some point when there was a discussion that he had with uh, the, the, the heads of the Christians of his time when he was forced to have these discussions under al-Ma'mun. Uh, they were brought in and at some point the Imam took a different strategy because logic is not really working with these people. So he tells, the Imam tells these Christians, he tells them, I, I don't think, I can't follow someone like Jesus salam, since it's Christmas and all of that, so it came to my mind. He tells them, we can't really follow Isa salam. He was not really someone who worshipped a lot, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we, we want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to have a model, an example of someone who worships. So the Holy Prophet worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the man who was listening to this, he revolted. And he told him, what do you mean he didn't worship? He worshipped more than everyone. He fasted all the time and he prayed all the time. And so Imam Radha salam told him, then who is he praying to? And who is he fasting to? If he is God himself, who is he praying to and who is he fasting to? He's a servant and a creature of a God. And so you can't say that he is a God or he's a son of God. Right, so just this just came to my mind uh, as we're talking, and since it's Christmas, so anyways, it's uh, the idea is it's an old objection. It's been answered a lot. Uh, there's a lot more answers that we can give, but these are high level answers, uh, and inshallah, none of us are struggling with this as a as a real objection, uh, or none of us think that we are actually we've achieved yaqeen, even if that were. Uh, something possible to achieve in this world. I don't think that, uh, you know, based on what we said, I think we have a very, very, very long way to go. Um, there's there's these cults or these sects, uh, and every time you see uh, one of them come up, uh, this is actually one of the um, recurrent, uh, you know, re recurrent uh, realities that you find in these sects that whoever appoints themselves as a leader of the sect, of the cult, you see that at some point they start telling their followers that whatever they told them in terms of what, you know, it's all about controlling how you eat and how you dress and how you think and how you sit and all of that. The more you do that, the more you can create a cult. Okay, so uh, it's not really about uh, those things for themselves anymore because they've become enlightened. Okay, so it doesn't apply to them anymore. So they get to eat and drink and sleep and dress and, you know, do whatever they want because it no longer applies to them, but it applies to all of their followers because, you know, they are part of the cult. But since they've become, they're the only one who has become enlightened, nothing applies to them anymore. Anyway, something to keep in mind maybe related to, to these Sufis who have come up with this objection. So, any other questions, concerns, comments? Allah. 
Yeah, the the uh, the comment is about uh, the the verses of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam and how they highlight the relationship that he has with Allah subhanahu wa taala. Um, they're beautiful, and the relationship is very clear. And the more you you read it and you you think about it, these like you know some would say these are some of the most be- beautiful verses in the Quran uh, because they're in the the form of uh, an invocation, a dua to Allah subhanahu wa taala. Uh, and so it's part of the story, but it's also something that we can all recite on our own, right? Um, but there's also a part here, so so thank you for, for mentioning that. There's also a part here, so exactly like you said, um, in the ad'iyah, for instance, of Imam Ali alayhi salam, du'a kumayl, other ad'iyah, we find the same or very similar type of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but there's a, a part here, I, I didn't want to comment on it, um, you know, والذي أطمع أن يغفر لي خطيئتي يوم الدين and the and he who I hope is going to be the one who forgives my sin in the on the day of judgment, and so you know in the past we've spent uh, quite a bit of time on this because there's an objection on why do we find these these types of expressions in the ad'iyah and the ahadith and even in the Quran where you have this invocation where the, the prophets, for instance, are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them. So, and the short answer, I didn't want to spend too much time on this, and there's, in the past we've given six or seven different answers to this. Okay, but the very short answer is these people, because of this relationship that you just mentioned, they hold themselves to a different standard. So what we consider to be right to them is completely wrong. Right, it's no different than, for instance, to use a simplified example. You know, the same act. You look at how, for instance, a, a three-year-old child they would perform the act, and then a teenager would perform it, and then let's say a big thinker performs it. I, I don't know. Someone would walk in here, and they would take a, a permanent marker and they start drawing on the walls. Okay, so if it's a two or three-year-old child, you wouldn't really blame them you would maybe try to tell them no and you'd explain why and I don't know how successful you'd be. Okay, if if a teenager does it, you would have serious questions. If a really big thinker respected in the world walks in and then he just starts scribbling with a permanent marker, you would consider that very shocking. It's the same act. Okay, but something goes for someone and it doesn't work for someone else. Okay, so the, the standard is different. And to these people, the standard is very different. The more we understand the, this topic of sincerity and what counts as sincerity, this voiding, emptying of the heart of anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for as just one example. Uh, you know, and, and our scholars have said in their books, I assure you, I was reading a book and, and literally he says, and this would be the first step on the very long journey in sincerity that your heart is entirely empty of anything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the first step in the journey. Okay, so how far is that journey and what else you can do? So if this is your standard, then of course you're going to consider things that you and I are not going to consider sins. We're not going to consider those mistakes or wrong, but they will, 
right? And by their standards, this is wrong. So of course he wants Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive his mistake, his khati'ah, that thing that he considers to be wrong. It's not wrong in the sense that it's a dhanb. It's wrong in the sense that to him at his level, this is something unbecoming. This is something that he should not be doing or not doing in this way, right? So in any case, we gave a lot of these answers in the past. I think much more detailed in the series called uh, Lessons in Islamic Doctrine towards the end of Imamah. We, we spent a bit of time on this uh, objection, uh, but it's an excellent point. Uh, thank you for, for raising that. And the answer to the previous questions, Ahsantum, that uh, there are people who think that they have achieved yaqeen. <laughs> I'm going to be curious <laughs> where this question came from <laughs> later. Okay, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.